Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Welcome to Salud Podcast, a podcast that focuses on bringing awareness to difficult conversations within the Latin community. We talk about stories in our comunidad and how we can all support each other to succeed. Ahora sí, pa seguir adelante con ganas. This is Salud Podcast. Y hay que comenzar porque si no, aquí vamos a estar todo el día. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Salud Podcast. One of the most important things that I always want to tell people is to take risks. I always want to tell them they should travel. They should go against whatever society has set forth. So I'm really excited that I got to catch up and talk to Graciela Flores, who will talk to us about her experience in the Peace Corps and her experience in the Philippines and how it literally changed her life. So we're going to get to know her, where she comes from, what she's about, and what she has learned throughout the Peace Corps. Trust me, this episode is going to be really good. I hope you guys enjoy it. I hope you guys can go ahead and share it. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, arroba salud podcast, at salud podcast. And if you really like this podcast, make sure you leave a review, whether it be on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. And then share it. I would appreciate if y'all would share it. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's go ahead and listen to the episode East LA a las Filipinas. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Salud Podcast. I'm your host, Jose Quintero. And here we come back with episode three of season four of Salud Podcast, obviously talking about these uncomfortable conversations and also highlighting amazing people uh, that are doing just great things and highlighting not only their successes, but also their journey to get to where they are. So today I am honored to present to you guys Uh, I want to say in Chingona, who basically takes all the risks that I could possibly know, Graciela Flores. Welcome to Salud Podcast. Hey. <laughs> How are you uh -oh. doing, Grace? Hi, thank you for having me today. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. A little nervous because I've never heard my voice out loud like that, but I'm really excited to be here. And just have this conversation. Yeah, no, a lot of people don't know that, you know, doing podcasts, you obviously have your mic because that's how the mm -hmm. you, a noise transfers to the computer. But then you also have headphones. And if you're not used to hearing yourself, you're just like, whoa. Yeah. It's a huge it's echo. A first time. <laughs> <laughs> there's always a first time for everything. Let's go ahead and get started because there's such a beautiful story and journey. When we, we talk about Graciela, obviously I've known you for quite some time and then we'll get into that a little further yeah. down the line. But I want to know, how was Graciela's life? How was Grace's life growing up? South Central yeah. L.A. Because yeah. you really defied <laughs> a, a lot of the odds in not becoming a statistic of South Central. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's interesting that you say like with Graciela's journey, because truthfully, I think I was Grace before I can become fully Graciela. And a lot of my friends know this, even like people I went to school with 
high school, college. Like I went by Grace a long, for a long time. And now I've really owned up to my name and fully embraced it. Um, and now at work, in my church community, and then just with my friends now, mm-hmm. most of them have now opted to call me Graciela. And that's because like now I fully embrace it. It's like normal now to go to Starbucks <laughs> and say <laughs> Graciela instead of Grace uh, to get my drink. But it's been a journey. Um, I grew up in South Central and, you know, born and raised in L.A., I went to school there. I'm the first-generation college student, went to UCLA. And just thinking about my high school experience, I was very much, like, in two extremes all the time. Mm. And that's still true to my, like, to my life now. But I was a huge nerd. Like, I love school. (laughs) Um, And so I was so academically driven, but a lot of my friends were not. And so I was in honor school classes, but then my friends were like the little cholillos of the school or the gangbangers in the block. (laughs) And we would like ditch class and we would drink. I like who drinks as a middle schooler, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, but I was out here doing things that I should not have done, but it was, I mean, like we were tagging, like we were, we would ditch school and go tagging the walls and the restrooms. Like, I would ditch class, um, jump the fence to go to like um, the protest, the protests that were happening at the time, like in terms of like in immigration. Yeah, wow, mm-hmm. it's quite crazy. Yeah, <laughs> um, when I look back at it, but a lot of my friends that were from middle school and then went to high school, like I was part of a group friend of like twelve, and then slowly throughout high school, they all they all started to like drop out. Oh, wow. Like, one by one, and then they had kids. And so, like, when I we talk about statistics, like, one in something, like, I think it's, like, one in ten, like, like people of color, high schoolers yeah. will make it to college. Um, that was, like, literally me. I was, like, the one friend that went to a university and then graduated. Dang. Which is, like, I can tangibly see that. Like, I can count my friends. And as, like, little by little, as they started dropping out of high school yeah. and whatnot. I want to actually go back to your name just because I feel like it's so important in terms of identity. You said you wanted to go by Grace and not Graciela, even though that's what you, the name that your parents yeah. gave you. Was that something? Because I see it a lot in terms of of not fully embracing and not knowing what culture you belong to, especially as first generation born here in the United States with immigrant parents. It's sort of like I want to assimilate into the American culture to a certain extent, but also not fully embrace the Latinidad that we Mm -hmm. each carry. Did you feel sort of repressed? Did it make you not as cool or just you just didn't understand it at the time? What it was for me was that I just wanted to make it easier on Mm. folks. Like, the mm. reason why it was like, oh, just call me Grace, is just because they couldn't roll the R's. So ah. I was like, yeah, whatever was easiest at the time is what it was more about than repressing it. But, like, in, in doing that, you are repressing yeah, your Latinas. So. Yeah, yeah, I know, because it's interesting how much we have to repress and how many cultures, uh, like, in all cultures, we yeah. have to repress because we make it so much easier for other people yeah. instead of learning it if you think of the the asian community how mm. many of them have amazing names but because other people can't pronounce it they're like just call me joe yeah and it's, it's like, like well bro that's accommodating yeah, yeah 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 so that that's always interesting did you ever feel the need to continue to call yourself grace instead of graciela when it came to job interviews just because we sometimes tend to hear the whole 
I know I did it. In college, <laughs> I put Joe Quintero on a resume, and I will tell you, I got nine wow. out of ten interviews as opposed to Jose. And it the same. I sent both resumes. So I don't know. That's it, interesting. Yeah, you never uh, had to go through that? I never did it. No, I, I just kept Graciela. But to be fair... I, I, my work is in the nonprofit world. Mm. So I think that there's always a high need for people <laughs> in the nonprofit world, uh, Spanish, especially Spanish speakers. So I think that for me, it, it was never a difficulty in like keeping my name, Graciela, or, or changing it to Grace. Did you ever start thinking like, oh, why are my friends dropping out? Should I follow in their footsteps? Because obviously these were your close friends. You were academically driven, but you still said hey, I'm going to do these extracurricular activities with them. <laughs> yeah. um, you didn't want to follow... That's a nice in, way to put that. Yeah, you didn't want to <laughs> follow in their footsteps. Or what kept you going and motivated to not become a statistic? Because I think at such a young age, we yeah. still don't even know that term fully enough. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a really great question. And I mean, now going through like also my faith journey, I can I can tell you that it was a lot of faith. I didn't. I mean, I didn't know I had it at the time, but mm. it was a lot of faith on the behalf of my parents. Um, my dad was like my counselor. That's what I like to call him sometimes, um, because I found out about college, how to enroll, scholarships through my dad, oh. um, and I was also very driven to leave my home. <laughs> I <laughs> am the oldest daughter of, of four, so um, there was a lot of responsibility and burden that comes from that, mm. and it is a burden. I like to say because it is heavy on the person who has to carry it yeah. and you don't prioritize your well-being. And so that that's a dif- difficult journey to go through. Um, but I, th- I think part of that motivation was because I wanted to make sure that as an older sister, I ha- was a good role model. And then making sure that I made it to college because I have a full family to mm-hmm. look after as well. Um, but also... Slightly selfishly wanting to run away because <laughs> oh. I knew college would be far away or at least far enough from home. Yeah, that, yeah, that you didn't have to deal with the, the issues at home on an everyday basis. You only had to do it over the weekend. Let's go ahead and now start that, that journey into college. And I find it so beautiful that your, your dad motivated you. And you're speaking a lot about your dad. Was your mom super also into like, yes, mija, go to college? <laughs> or was it something very unfamiliar to her as well yeah no my mom definitely encouraged college as well for her it was mostly like she just wasn't as knowledgeable Mm. and it wasn't for her like she didn't have that level of like engagement like for her it was just like yeah you know i have to work do things and like care for you but for my dad he's like a learner he loves to learn so he reads books a lot listens to the radio (laughs) um What's his name? He loves this one guy that he listens in the radio, but I can't remember his name. Spanish, um, English. Yeah, he's a Spanish. Oh, he's my dad speaks Spanish. <laughs> <only>. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but he, yeah, so he listened to all of this. I forget his name. I need it. El Cucuy, El Piolino, Mari, No, Angelia. he's like a political commenter, too. Uh, Jorge Ramos? No, not him. Oh. There's another one. I don't, I don't think he's low-key, but... Um, it's not Jorge Ramos. Oh, okay. Well, then, yeah. dang. I, I, I know. I, I know, but like, I'm... That's cool that you were going through the names. I'm like, maybe you'll get it. Because I was like, radio. Uh, yeah, he's radio. Um, I don't know if he's from Mexico or what, but. Oh, my Oh my God. There's this. It's going to like. I know. It's gonna, I know. Me too. Because uh, there's, a, there's a saying in Spanish of a news anchor back to you, X, Y, Z. And it's always a reoccurring joke. Uh, 
Other uh, people who are listening who who work in Spanish radio, they're probably like screaming the name out. <laughs> and it makes me mad because it's yeah. probably him. Probably. <laughs> uh, I, I'll get back to you on that though, yeah. for sure. Um, but he listens to him a lot and he was just really invested in my education. So he wanted mm. to, I think he knew that he lacked in other areas. Like couldn't help me with his homework because he just didn't speak English. I think that there was areas that he just couldn't help me in. So mm. his way of compensating was making sure that I knew that these were all the opportunities that I can take. And it was on me to pursue them and make sure that I was there. Um, but he's just a learner. And me and my dad have a close relationship in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, with my mom, it's it's more of a emotional connection, too. I mean, moms, yeah. I think that's usually how it goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How was their reaction when their firstborn eldest daughter got into UCLA? Yeah, it, I mean, it was Was that a shock amazing. for you, too? I mean, I cried. I wasn't shocked. I was just, like, so happy that my hard work had paid off. Uh-huh. Um, and... We were just extremely happy and grateful and just looking forward to what that meant and, and what it would do for our family. Yeah. So it was definitely, it was like, I screamed. <laughs> I like, it was, also UCLA was like the last, like, acceptance letter I got, which was so frustrating. Really? Yeah. Because, you know, that's the only one I'm waiting for, really. <laughs> which other ones did you apply to? Uh, like, Long Beach. Did you get into those? I didn't get into Long Beach. What? It's just crazy. But Long Beach is very difficult to get into. I, I hear that. that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, but I'm like, that's fine. Yeah. I want to get into <laughs> UCLA, really. Um, but yeah, I, I applied to like a handful of colleges, like community college. Well, not community college states. Uh-huh. At any point in time, did any d- teachers doubt you? Because obviously you were also hanging out with the wrong crew. Yeah. That they were like, how is this even possible? Or did they try to counsel you and be like, hey, Grace, like, you're doing so well academically, yet you're... Yeah. These are sometimes the stories of these great people that we see on TV, CES CEOs, and you're mm-hmm. like, what? How, how did they turn their life around, yeah. even though so many people told them, hey, they you're hanging it. out with the wrong yeah. crowd? I think that that's why I love my life trajectory so much yeah. um, because I just, it's, it's really sad that they had to like make an opinion of me because of mm-hmm. the people I hanged out with. But also the people I hanged out with had like amazing hearts. Like they were so in tune with their values. Like they were just trying to figure out life. Like they were hurting, like they had family problems. Like it was just tough. Like, I mean, they had so many disadvantages that, um, it, it was very sad to see that adults were, you know, yeah. making an assumption of them and, and labeling them as such. Um, but they could have been great people. Like, they w- could have been great learners. They just yeah. had so much happening at home that they couldn't. I was very thankful that while I had a lot happening at home, I still had really supportive parents and making sure that I made it yeah. through school. That That's why I'm just like, it wasn't that I was hanging around bad people. It was mm-hmm. just, I was hanging around kids that were just going through a lot, but... They're really amazing friends. They were always there for me. Till this day, like, my middle school friend is still around me. Her name is yeah. Evelyn. Shout out to her. She's amazing. Um, and we're very close. And it's been, I mean, middle school to, like, life yeah. now as an adult. A lot of the kids that I did go to in, in high school that were honor students were a lot more different than I just couldn't be friends with because it often felt like they were just, like, these, like, mini sharks. Yeah. Right? I mean, academic. Life was like their priority, but 
Maybe they still had things going on at home, but obviously they maybe their their coping skills were different. Yeah, and I think it's a, a really beautiful thing you mentioning it because we have a lot of educators listening, and I'm so glad that the new generation of educators is more empathetic towards you know trying to figure out what's going on in every child's uh, home specifically because every child is going to be different and you just never know what's going on that's really affecting them academically. Sometimes they haven't even had a meal. Yeah. Sometimes they don't even have a place to sleep and you're already labeling them, like you said, as bad students because they are acting up. Mm -hmm. So that's beautiful that you're able to uh, mention that. Let's get into UCLA. (laughs) How was was your first year in UCLA? Wow. I mean. Because I think uh, the first year in college is always like, I'm away from my parents. (laughs) Freedom. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, it did feel like a lot of liberty. Mm -hmm. um, But at the same time, I mean, I had issues with like time management. We all um, do. (laughs) Figuring out what I to do like at the time I was in a very toxic relationship um and I was just it was a hard time for me yeah um I it was amazing right but then towards the end of the year I was like man this is very hard um and just to be like absolutely honest like I had a hard time for the next two years in college my mm. freshman year and my sophomore year like I was subject to dismissal from college from UCLA because I was just not meeting my requirements. GPA requirements, yeah. At any point, did you feel like you were disappointing your family? And because absolutely, I always, absolutely. I, yeah, I, because yeah. I always feel like as Latino kids, we're always not thinking, like you said, of us. It's like mm-hmm. I should feel disappointed in myself, but no, I feel <laughs> that disappointment from my parents, even though I haven't even told them, right. Yeah, that's so heavy. But absolutely. I mean, I I felt like I was um, just I was losing a dream that wasn't just mine, but my family's. Yeah, I I was really scared. (laughs) I was like (laughs) terrified. But I do want to thank my sorority, uh, Sigma Lambda Gamma and the mentors that I had through them to getting me through college and making sure I graduated (laughs) Um, because I, I, you know, I did graduate. uh, So. We're, we're thankful for that. And then how was uh, the college life? You just mentioned uh, your sorority, Sigma mm-hmm. Lambda Gamma, obviously. My fraternity, Sigma Lambda Beta, were very close intact. Mm-hmm. Was you joining a sorority stigmatized within your Latina or Latino family, Latinx family? They just didn't know what it was. <laughs> yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, <laughs> uh, which with my brother, you know, I have uh-huh. a brother who's two years younger than me. Um, I also introduced him to your fraternity, and I was like... Yeah, like, you should totally do it. Uh, but my parents didn't know anything about it, and I just explained it to them as, like, you know, brotherhood, sisterhood, um, and just, like, an, a network of people, mm-hmm. of even just family that you can lean on who yeah. have the experience that, you know, my parents don't. Yeah, yeah. At any point, because I felt this way, uh, you know, you're so enamored with the fraternity, sorority, life culture, and your newfound family that you also tend to tend for your <laughs> actual family. Mm-hmm. So because I remember like we had family gatherings, we had family events and I was like, oh, no, I'm going to go uh, to Rosarito. Or I'm going to go X, Y, Z. And now looking back in retrospect, I 
obviously don't take any of that back because mm-hmm. it's made me who I am. But I also missed out on a lot of birthdays from my brothers mm-hmm. or a lot of their process growing up yeah. for being a part of this organization, which did benefit me yeah. in the long run. Um, no. <laughs> Lucky. Um, I also want to say that uh, <laughs> I think that I was, I, I mean, I'm the oldest, so yeah. I mean, I think you are too. Yeah. I don't know. I just felt the burden. Like, because my, fam- my family's so close. I said, hey, yeah. we're going to have this. Like, your tia va cumplir años. Or tu oh, so you're close to your extended family too. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. Okay, see. Well, my mom's side. Okay, okay. I think that that's. Another like that's like another topic, not topic, but like a layer. La- yeah, another layer of like, I'm super close to my family, and I will always prioritize like my siblings' birthdays, parents' mm-hmm. birthdays. Like if sometimes our friends, I have four, four, well, three girls that are like my closest friends who are part of my sorority, um, and like birthdays overlap. So like we'll make sure we go to each other's family's home to celebrate. Mm. Like we're just always present and making sure that like. We're making time for everything, but for, with my extended family, I'm close, but like they're not a priority to me. Yeah, like my priority will of be course. my immediate family, no. and I'm like, I mean, I'm I'm okay with that mm-hmm. because I mean, also extended family is such a complicated <laughs> subject <laughs> uh, because you know they love to chismear, um, give their two cents, give their two cents on everything, and. I know that I live a very different life than a lot of my cousins do. Like another thing that I had to like overcome in high school was just making sure that I wasn't a teenager who became pregnant mm. um, because like most of my cousins did. And I was so adamant. I'm like, I'm not going to be that person. <laughs> no, like no shade yeah. to them. You know, like it happens. But I was just so like, never like I'm going to make it through high school, not having a kid. Um, college, not having a kid. I mean, I'm still an adult, not having a kid, but, <laughs> <Yes>. but I made it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that's awesome. And then, uh, you know, part of your journey is also the risks that you've taken, mm. the risks and that have created yeah. beautiful opportunities. Any risks in high school that you think were pivotal in your life? Not, well, not, well, oof. I, that's because this one d- digs a little deep. Okay. Um, my parents growing up didn't have the best relationship. There was a lot of like arguments and disagreements. Um, and for a bit, my parents separated, and my mom decided to move to Pasadena with help of like s- like services that are out there mm-hmm. for women who need help. You know, yeah. raising their kids like when they're wanting to separate from their husband. Um, and so that was my, like, into my, coming into my senior year of high school. And so we moved to Pasadena for a couple of months. And I was just, like, devastated. Of course. Because um, this is my senior year. And, you know, I've worked so hard to try and get into college. And um, all these things I've done to be successful in school. And then my mom just, like, pulls me out. We leave. Um, and I was so angry at her. Um, and we had to go to therapy through this program that we, wow. my mom had enrolled us in. And I was like, I hate this. Um, and I was just so unhappy. And I, my mom could see that. I was like vis- like very visibly unhappy, yeah. super sad. And I was like, I've worked so hard. Um, and it, looking back now, I mean, I'm a kid, but I'm just like this just brat, right? Yeah. My mom is going through stuff right now. 
And it's not my mom. It's just all my siblings going through things. And I'm over here thinking like me. Being selfish. <laughs> um, being selfish a little bit. And so at the third month, my mom, and you know, I, there was always times where I would go to my mom like, we need to go back. Like school is waiting for me. Like this is my senior year. is the most important year for me. I'm going to be applying to school for colleges. Like um, I, at the time I was nominated for the Posse Scholarship which gives you a full ride. And I'm like, I'm, mix- I'm missing this interviews. So I'm like missing all this stuff. Like, how am I going to get into college now? Like, I was just devastated. And my mom was like, at the third month was like, we're going to go back home. Wow. And I can, I can just see it, you know, in her face. Like, just. She not was wanting to? Not wanting to, but like making that sacrifice. Wow. For, for me specifically. So my like my siblings were do, adjusting so well, mm. um, but for me specifically, and um, and I think that's the fear now that I have in voicing my needs. Sometimes is that I I'm being so selfish that like I'm not thinking about the needs of the family entirely. So yeah. it becomes very hard as an adult now yeah, as an <laughs> to adult voice now, my like, needs. Well, not not voice <laughs> your needs, but ask like or ask. Yeah, yeah. Well, how are you feeling? How are you yeah. doing? Is that something that you struggle with, with your immediate family, like your siblings? I, I do still. I mean, that's something that I'm, I'm working on every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm a lot more aware of it and conscious and, and, do, and very intentional yeah. in the way that I interact with my siblings. But, of course, I mean, it's still a challenge. Yeah. You know, I'm, not, I'm not perfect. Let's go ahead and take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this. You do it all without breaking a sweat. Like being a boss exec to Tuesday tennis to homework. Why do the kids have so much homework? Family dinners, lunches, brunches, trips to the vet, and a weekend getaway that's anything but a getaway. And you do it all in style. Even when you have back-to-back conference calls on top of the kids' orchestra recitals, not to mention your side hustle. That's why we created the fully reimagined Infiniti QX60. A luxury SUV as functional as it is stylish and as versatile as it is serene. With premium features like a panoramic moonroof, ample cargo space, and available massaging front seats to bring the ease of luxury to your everyday. Introducing the all-new Infiniti QX60, designed to help you take on life and all the chaos it may come with in style. Learn more at InfinityUSA.com. Now with extremely limited availability, contact your local retailer for inventory information. So another, I think... um turning point or was the end of college for you mm-hmm. you decided mm-hmm. to take a risk and embark on uh i think a beautiful journey uh a different journey not one that is very common in first generation latino households yeah. uh and i would even dare to say a very more white privileged mm-hmm. scenario absolutely so, I mean, Definitely. talk to us about the Peace Corps. Yeah, that was another risk for yeah. sure. Um, as an older daughter of an yeah. American family, I'm, they're very woman. dependent. And the woman. And a woman, yeah. I mean, they're very dependent on me and, like, decisions I make. Because I, I do make decisions for the family <laughs> sometimes. Um, and um, I'm a constant facilitator between my parents and my siblings. Um, but And it tends to happen. Yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of families, and it's we we adopt that role sometimes mm-hmm. because we're bilingual, because we know that there's bad people out there trying to take advantage of our 
mm-hmm. our family members because of the lack of language. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I mean, it start, we, they literally indoctrinated us young by, hey, what does this say in like when they got yeah. mail? So it's <laughs> like you start making decisions for them because your translation is the only source that they have mm-hmm. at that moment. Absolutely. So, yeah, so you yes. become the decision maker because you're the one deciding what information you're giving and hoping to God that it's right. Right. Yeah. Because you're just a kid. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, thank God for him because <laughs> I feel definitely guided by him all the time. Um, but yeah, going to the Philippines was such a difficult, <laughs> uh, it wasn't a difficult decision for me. Because mm-hmm. again, like UCLA, I think Peace Corps was that for me. Like, a, a tiny escape from my family, a break where I was like, I need to go grow myself and then I'm going to become a better person for for everybody in my family. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's all these opportunities for me there. And so when I told my parents that I was going to leave, <laughs> uh, man, my mom, she, it's always my mom. My dad's like the, which is yeah. why I have the closest relationship with my dad because he's just understands me in a way that I think my mom can never, mm. um, but my dad immediately was like, of course, like, I get it. He was, the thing that he told me, which I took to heart, was that you're going to go to the Philippines and you're going to experience a level a level of, like, disadvantage and poverty that you, you, you have experienced with us here. Like, we're low-income family. We don't have a lot of privileges. But he's like, over there is going to be, like, times course, 100. Yeah. And you just got to know that you're going to see really hard things and you're just going to have to be brave and, and be strong and, and be... Just be okay. Um, that's going to be the hardest thing for yeah. you, and which absolutely was. <laughs> um, and my mom was just like, Ooh, Lord. My mom was like, cried. She's like, you're abandoning us. You're, you're just, you don't like us. You don't love us. Did you take that to heart? I, I didn't. Okay. No. That's, that's because good. I know how my mom is. I mean, it, it was hard to hear, mm-hmm. but I, I knew that she was just afraid to let me go. Um, and she was afraid to be without me for two years. Yeah, two years. Yeah, which you think is not a long time, but then two, and and then they pass, and it's not a long time. But those two years of living without each other, without your yeah. family, and your family not having you, is very hard. Yeah. Um, and at the end, you know, she gave me her blessings. She talked to her pastor, and she was like, "Yeah, your daughter has to fly like a butterfly." <laughs> and that's literally what she told me. She was like, um, "I spoke with my pastor, and, and you know, I, I I came to my senses, and I you're a beautiful butterfly, and you just have to go and fly and get me out of your cocoon." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Thanks," <laughs> which I knew she would come around. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that butterfly got on the plane. How well, was, the cocoon got well, on the plane. Well, the cocoon <laughs> uh, got on the plane. What was your first experience at in the Philippines? In the Philippines. Yeah. It was amazing. I was introduced to... Uh, so Peace Corps is a complicated program for a lot of people. It is mm-hmm. very problematic. Um, I mean, I spoke to a professor at UCLA about this program, and she was like, this is like manifest destiny. Like, this is like you taking U.S. politics into a foreign country that already has a lot of U.S. invasion and, you know, a lot of just things that people in the Philippines go through because the U.S., you know, tries to assimilate them. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) which you can see that. um, Uh But I was like, but it was such a hard topic because I was like, well, I got to go figure it out. I got to go look at it. Yeah. I know this is an argument for a lot of people, but for me, it was like, I need to go see 
what that inside system looks like in order to know how I can break it mm. and how to navigate it. Because, I, I mean, this is a system that I have to work with for years. I mean, I don't know when we're going to have, like, a revolution, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like or something where we're, like, going to destroy this current system. But so I just I have to work with it, and I'm in the nonprofit world. I want to be a service to others. So I have to figure out how those systems works in order to know how to help other people and empower yeah. other people to navigate those same systems. Um, so at the end, I went, obviously, but that experience, that first experience, too, getting there was amazing because a lot of the people who, like, in, welcomed us were the Filipino people there. Yeah. Um, and all the staff are Filipino. Like, I mean, obviously, the leadership roles, as always, are white people. Mm. Um, but, like, the rest of the staff were Filipinos and my experience with the volunteer was a lot different. I think I had a conversation yeah. with you about this, uh, but there were most of them were white. Yeah, that was hard. That, so, so talk to me because I remember, if I recall, there was a period where it was a beautiful transition. Like, I guess I don't know if it was the first three months where they were teaching you the mm -hmm. culture, the language. You weren't sent to your actual location where you you were gonna be. So was that, I guess you would say, the nicer part of the Philippines and the nicer part of the, like, the easier part of the Peace yeah. Corps until you were actually placed in the town or city that you were supposed to be at? That was actually the hardest part. Because you were in Cebu, right? <laughs> yeah, I was in Cebu City for my actual volunteering oh, two okay, years. Okay. So yeah, with the Peace Corps, we have two years of service, volunteer work, and then three months of training mm. that come before the service. Um, but for me, the training was the hardest because I was around my fellow volunteers. Um, mm, who were ignorant. Who too. were very ignorant, yeah, who were mostly white. So they have a different level of exposure than I do. Um, I mean, part of our training for my specific um, group, because there's three programs within that program, and I was part of the uh, children and family. Damn, I... I forgot what it even stands <laughs> for. Um, but it was like children and family um, development. Uh, and it was not development, but it's something along those online lines. Since you've been back. So. <laughs> it's true. Uh, but this pandemic makes it this seem pandemic, like four years. Like, Seriously, it's been so long. Yeah. Uh, but part of that specific training is that they take us to the most, like, underserved underserved communities like poverty at its like closest and it's really intense How like traumatic. super intense but the thing is that we're being we're going on this walk on this community walk that's very impoverished and we're being led by a community member and this oh, person wow. is like amazing like they're so empowered they're like we're doing all of this amazing things for our communities like it's like incredible like we should be amazed that they're mm. like They've done all this, and they're welcoming us to their home. But <laughs> um, and then at the end, we have like a whole processing group, and and I, I know this is also me, young my young self, who's so self righteous and have like this vision of like perfection almost. But you're like, I'm gonna change this. Yeah, whole I'm gonna community. change this whole this world or like these volunteers and their mindset. But we have this processing group at the end where we process everything we just experienced. And a lot of people felt like uh, we were on a zoo. Um, yeah, no being way. like, like showing. It's like, because they felt like 
our program manager was taking us in this community and looking at people as if they were zoo animals, mm. um, which there's been, I've had an experience with a, with a close friend where we went to New York and our white professor took us around New York mm-hmm. showing us like, this is this and this is this. And she felt like this is a zoo, like you're taking us to the most impoverished parts of New York and showing us like how urban yeah. challenges are. But I can understand why in that situation it was that because that was a white professor and we didn't have anybody in the community. And we were, in fact, like almost being kicked out of a building because like you have no permission to be here. But in the Philippines, the context is a lot different. Like we have a community member showing us around, telling us their story of how empowered they are and. And all the challenges that they yeah, overcome. They're not being, I mean, they know the situation they're in and they don't feel ashamed. Exactly. They're sharing you their and experience. they're sharing that. They're welcoming you into their world. of, And instead you have to like demean that almost or belittle that. That experience. That experience by saying that it was a zoo experience. That, oh, my God, that, the level of ignorance. Like, I, I, I totally understand if it was a white counterpart showing you around. It's like, well, you don't even know the culture. And you weren't even welcome there. Yeah, versus an actual community. Yeah. Like, you're just diminishing their entire history, their culture, their roots, what they're proud of, the yeah. inco- the little baby step accomplishments that they've done yeah. along the way to be, a, I, I guess you could say, like a community member showing Americans around. Mm-hmm. You know, because I, I think that in itself... You know, it takes a level of experience and practice yeah. to get there. It was very hard to witness. And Did you raise your hand? Like I, I totally blurred out. Like, I went on a rant. Um, I was so, quote-unquote, unprofessional. <laughs> um, yeah, I was very angry. And I think a lot of my volunteers, peer, peer volunteers, thought that I was just this angry Latina, constantly upset about a lot of stuff. I didn't. I didn't make very much friends there, which is fine. I didn't come to make friends with other Americans. I went to the Philippines because I wanted to be a service to the Filipino people, and just be honored to to experience their culture. At that moment, did you feel the stereotypical stigma of a Latina, like wow, loud, loud, yeah. angry, yeah. upset, fiery? Absolutely. But, it's but I own it. <laughs> <laughs> it's passion, and it's passion exactly. because you, I, you not only saw these people in those communities, you identified. You literally was like, "That's me. That's my tia. That's this yeah. family member." Like you saw a reflection of yourself. Yeah. So I think that's why I was so I projected so much anger. Yeah. Because I was very upset. <laughs> yeah, and they just didn't understand it coming from a white picket fence. I mean, fence. obviously, yeah. Yeah. And then they couldn't, and that's I can't hold that too much against them. Do you think that's an issue within the Peace Corps? Just hiring privileged or not hiring, allowing volunteered people from privileged communities, and not really filtering out. It's just not enough. It's not enough people of color applying. Mm. I mean. There's only like 3% of Latinos go to Peace Corps. Um, for African Americans, it's like 8%. Did you see a lot more older white men and no, women or was it younger? A large population of the Peace Corps volunteers are like straight out of college mm-hmm. kind of age. Um, there are older volunteers, but there's not that many. And then how was that experience after, when you were actually placed within your, uh, I think, community center? Mm-hmm. Because you worked with women and children and, you know, you taught them health, fitness tips, <laughs> HIV, yeah. right, mm-hmm. resources. So how was that experience? That was a lot more amazing. Um, I knew that I would be, I'm very adaptable, and I knew that once I made it there, I would be okay, which was the case. Um, I got 
I adapted really quickly. I love Filipino food. Oh, it's just so delicious. Did you try the the? I've always wanted to try the the duck. Yes. What the is it? egg? Um, yes. Um, balut, balut. Balut. I think it's called balut. Okay. Okay. Yeah. How, how was that? Because from what <laughs> I heard, I want to eat it again. You, okay. Because it, it still has feathers, right? What? Well, there's different oh, types. There's, there's different, okay. different like depending on what month they are. I think. What? Yeah, you could have a not fully developed duck. Just like an egg. Yeah, okay. or in the embryo. Okay. And then you could get one with feathers. Oh, wow. Wait, are but they cooked or not? They are-ish, okay. yeah. That's, that. see, that is such a It tastes a like culture. chicken soup, though. Like okay. the little, like the caldo in uh-huh. the egg tastes like chicken soup. But and I always find I that just amazing. I didn't want to eat the <laughs> But because we're not accustomed to it, like we didn't grow up with that. And I'm pretty yeah. sure if you, I don't know, give a, a person in the Philippines menudo, they'd probably be like, what is this? Yeah, menudo. It's intense. <laughs> it's also like a really intense flavor and like it like yeah. stays on your on your mouth a little, but it's so good. Yeah, yeah, but I think it's it's the exact same thing. But talk to me, how long were you with that community center group? Well, I did two community centers. Um, one, it was a foundation, and I was there for a little less than a year, maybe eight months. And then the nonprofit that I went to afterwards was a maternity clinic. Um, their name was Glory Reborn, and I was there for the rest of my remaining time. And they were amazing. How fast or did you learn the language? Yes. Oh, Lord. I wish <laughs> I still remember. But through my training, I mean, we have to take a test. Uh-huh. Um, and we have to pass it in order to continue our service. Um, so I became conversational in Tagalog. Uh-huh. And uh, once I went to Cebu, <laughs> I totally forgot the Tagalog. I had to learn no Cebu. Oh, uh, Cebuano. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Different dialect. It's a different dialect. Yeah. No way. So I just... I just forgot everything. <laughs> How different is the the Cebu Cebuano? Cebuano Cebuano and uh, Tagalog. And Tagalog. I mean, they're similar, but there's like certain words that are just different. It's like Spanish and Spanglish type. No, of no, no. It's more like How I wouldn't you, even say, English I don't even and know. British. And uh, there are some words that cross over. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. No, I mean it's a like any dialect. It it still resembles its main language, but uh. there's just variations to the way they say it. It's almost like in Latin America, right? Like we have Guatemalans and like Hondurans having different kind of slang or the oh. word meaning the same. Like popote can be like straw is just yeah. three different ways sort of, of saying it. Yeah, and sort saying of, it. Yeah, no, no. Okay. That's, like that would be some, like I would, I would kind of explain the different dialects in, in Cebu or like the Visaya. So, you know, the Philippines has like three, is it three regions, three main regions. Um, but one of them is the Visayas, is where I lived. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the only one I know. Well, there's also Mindanao, which is the, like not the safest place to be because that's where a lot of like uh, the drugs, uh, mm-hmm. like challenges are happening there. Yeah. And, so learning the language was one thing. How about writing the language? Was that easier or harder? No, I mean, equally. Equally. Diffi- difficult for me. But you were immersed. Like, did you have a family that you stayed with? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I learned the... I could say, like, also because it was very similar to Spanish, so I can uh-huh. remember certain things like of, like, <laughs> yeah, or, like, como esta acá, which is, like, how are you, como yeah. estas? But it's oh. it's with a K, and it's spelled a little bit different, but it's como esta acá. Oh, okay. I only know a couple estás? words. 
uh, from high school. One of my close friends from high school is always like, Salamat, walang anumang. Yeah. Uh, and then obviously the bad words. Yeah. Thank you. And you're welcome. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can get around like transportation like here or there. Um, but most of it, I can understand it. Like if I hear, which now, I, I, like if I go around the community, like wherever I go, if I can hear some tech, I'm like, they're Filipino. Like, I and I get really excited. But then I'm like, you know, mind my, my own business. Yeah, I'm like, course. respectfully stay away. <laughs> uh, but I get really excited because they can still register it in mm-hmm. my mind. Um, I just can't understand it entirely. What was the hardest part about that experience besides, you know, the, yeah. the ignorance? <laughs> of white people. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, the hardest part, I mean, was just the guilt that I felt and the beautiful experiences I was having in the Philippines and mm. that I couldn't share with my family. Mm. It was mostly that. I, honestly, my experience with Filipino people were amazing, um, incredible. They're super hospitable, loving, super affectionate, which is something mm. that, like, um, is specific in my, ho- in my household. Like, we weren't very affectionate growing up. I mean, now we're becoming more. But growing up, I didn't have that. And I'm a very... F- I'm not affectionate, but I know that I want to be. Is that your love language? Well, yeah, physical touch is my yeah. love language. So um, <laughs> I know that I, I appreciate when people are affectionate to me. And I learned that more in the Philippines because people always were grabbing my arm. When we laughed, we touched each other's shoulders or laughed. Like, it was always this sense of, like, lovingness constantly and being, and it, you know, it was being shown. Mm. Like, I appreciate you for being here. That's um, And they were just always dancing, which, you know, it's, it's beautiful to experience because joy is just a part of their everyday life even though they're going through a lot of hardships mm-hmm. um and then they're super faithful yeah and i i mean i learned that from them yeah um just having faith in everything that you do did um, you have some resistance because we'll we'll go back uh in a bit but did you have some resistance embracing that faith you mentioned that like you know Deep down inside, you had it somehow, yeah. but you just never embraced it. Mm-hmm. But did you have some resistance there? I didn't because um, when I first got to the Philippines, I was like, man, like, this seems an opportunity to learn some mm-hmm. things and be vulnerable and open to whatever Yeah, will show up. <laughs> <laughs> and so I there wasn't any resistance. Also, people were just... They weren't pushing it on me. Yeah. They weren't like, like, here, like, listen to me. They were just like, okay, like, yeah. whenever you're, whenever you want to talk, we're here. It was almost like counseling, like, or therapy, like, if you were in a mental health program, like, hey, like, we're just here to chat whenever you're ready. Yeah. And I was like, cool, thanks. <laughs> and obviously, I was going through stuff, so uh-huh. I had to reach out um, in order to, to, to be better. Yeah, yeah. And then it ended. Yeah. How was that? It was so sad. The the last, like, cause be, because you had an end date. You had an expiration mm-hmm. date. Did you slowly start, like, obviously, I think when there's, like, two months left, you really try not to think about it. But then when there's a month, yeah. three weeks, two weeks, yeah. the day before, you're like, this is it. Mm-hmm. It was. How was that coping? It was hard. But I also knew that I was going to leave and then come back mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because so Glory Reborn is a faith based organization and they're just amazing because you would think, well, not you, but if you come from a background where you have where the church hasn't been well to you, 
or they've done things that, which they have, that aren't good, that disrespect people, that invade people's space. You think that a nonprofit that was faith-based would also be almost like discriminatory and like not accepting. Um, But with this nonprofit, like we had family planning conversations, like we empowered women to make decisions on their own, even though like in the Philippines, like their partner's decisions lays very strongly. Um, So it was just such an openness of like breaking like just stereotypes and and making sure that people just receive the health and the quality of like health that they needed um, and deserve. So when I left, I knew that I was going to come back because I got really, really close relationships with friends there. And one of them was getting married. So um, I also decided to travel by myself for three months. And so I went and traveled and then I came back to this wedding that was amazing and beautiful and leaving that day was also hard, but like I knew, I knew I would go back. Like yeah. the Philippines is, and I, I knew that I, when I first went into the Beast Girls and saying like, oh yeah, we know people talk about like their host country becoming like homes. I'm yeah. like, my home is always where my parents are at. Yeah. And that's like South Central LA. Like that's, that's my home for me. It's like where my family is at. Um, <laughs> and then through my whole experience in the Philippines, in the Philippines like Cebu city, now I'm just like that's absolutely a home. Yeah, and I I'm gonna like that, I mean, still al- work with them. Yeah, it allowed you to be more vulnerable and to learn more about your own self. You know, something that maybe you haven't given yourself the opportunity to do, mm-hmm. and you went with that mindset. Like you know what, I'm gonna be vulnerable. I'm just gonna learn and absorb and see what comes out of it. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's beautiful. Before we move on, I want to ask: Was there any moment that you had to? you know, the righteous Latina in you that you had to put your foot down. You said it's, you know, the Philippines is a very, like, male-driven decision-making society. But was there a moment where you're like, yo, she has a say or that you had to put your foot down in between? No. I also feel like that would be disrespectful. Okay. In my opinion. Okay. Um, Because the thing is that like if you were seeing it and something unjust and you're like, oh, no. No. Well, then I also feel like I didn't see a situation like that. Well, then that's a good which thing. Which is, yeah, yeah. Which, I'm, which I say, like, my experience just with the Filipino people was, like, always good. I mean, there was also because Filipino culture is very similar to Mexican culture. Mm-hmm. So for me to pivot in situations like that is easy. Mm-hmm. Like, I know what in a super, like, strict like almost my mom is very gender norm like mm-hmm. like she wants us to follow gender norms i mean i've i've kind of like opened her mind over the years yeah um but i know like in the philippines like gender norms are also really like enforced but also like on the surprising end people like dress however they want like yeah. there's a lot of self-expression so it's almost like tolerance but also acceptance of people being willing to Except, however, anybody. I mean, people are still like kind of on the end mm-hmm. saying things to other people, how you would like also in Mexican culture, right? Like, yeah. Um, we kind of talk behind people's back. <laughs> <laughs> like, or like, or like fake compliment people, but they were like, I'm like, did you see their shirt? Um, but it's also, but it's an acceptance at the end yeah. of the day. I guess maybe it's almost tolerance, yeah. but we're trying to get to acceptance. Of course, of course. Next time on Salud Podcast. We're a really like significant part of my life because 
like that special thing we had wouldn't yeah. be the same. The experience that you gave me when we were together, I was just very curious to see how I would feel about you. I had no emotional attachment to anything yeah. or anybody. 